Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that ponders the philosophical and the practical aspects of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we look at news stories including Peugeot to buy General Motors European brands, Opel and Vauxhall. What does that mean to Holden? We discuss the recent ministerial change in the roads portfolio in New South Wales. Will we have a minister who doesn't butt heads? We have a chat with Overdrive's David Saxberg and his friend Haley about what it's like to travel on public transport when you're blind. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including what if train announcements appealed to your emotions? Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now to begin the program, let's have the news. Overdrive recently reported that changes were afoot with the ownership of the European arm of General Motors. We can now confirm that the Peugeot Citroen Group has bought the European component of General Motors, namely the Opel brand and its sister brand in the UK, Vauxhall, in a deal valued at approximately 2.3 billion Australian dollars. The impact on Holden in Australia which markets some Opel cars, has yet to be determined. For Peugeot, bringing the two car makers together will yield annual savings of about $2.4 billion by 2026 by combining development costs, factory investments and purchasing. Opel was also developing a plan to move over to only building electric cars by the year 2030. Therefore, Peugeot will gain considerable technical knowledge of electric vehicles from the takeover. After the announcement, Peugeot, or PSA shares, rose 2.7%, their highest price since July 2011. So it looks as if the market approves of the takeover, which looks as if it might be able to rival Volkswagen in Europe. The Australian Road Research Board has just held a webinar titled Busy Brain Syndrome, the Root Cause of Driver Distraction. It featured Dr Lucia Kelleher, who is a behavioural neuroscientist, who defined the syndrome. Dr Kelleher has identified that we have not adapted to the deluge of information and that this has decimated our ability to pay attention. We are not just willfully being inattentive, our brains are reacting in a dysfunctional way. We get so much information, the pressure is to react to it immediately, and so we are now judging most things in a flight-or-fight mode of thinking. This is the most primitive response we have, and does not allow for consideration, calm reflection, and a thought process that leads to improvements. Most of our current media and our politicians seem to be acting in this way. In the 13th year of the World Car Awards, the last three finalists gives a clear indication of a major trend in the market. All of the final three are crossover vehicles, the Audi Q5, the Jaguar F-Pace and the Volkswagen Tiguan. These vehicles have evolved from four-wheel drives and are now usually referred to as SUVs, or soft rotors is another term, but that is somewhat derogatory. The word crossover is taking hold as car companies emphasise the car-like features of the new models more than their off-road capabilities. In an ironic twist, the awards have created a new category of world urban car. Competitors in this category include SUVs such as the Toyota CHR.
Consumers around the world remain sceptical about the safety of fully autonomous vehicles. A study by Deloitte compares consumer attitudes from 17 countries on self-driving cars, advanced safety, powertrain systems and cockpit technologies, along with people's willingness to pay for these features. South Korea, with 81%, holds the highest percentage of people who express safety concerns about fully autonomous vehicles. At 62%, China shows the lowest concerns, yet this is still nearly two-thirds of the sample from that country. The US falls roughly in the middle, where nearly three-quarters of consumers believe fully autonomous vehicles will not be safe. Japan at 79%, Germany at 72% and India at 64% show that this is a widespread problem across most cultures. In the US, the average length of new car ownership is increasing and it is now at six and a half years. But some cars are much more quickly dumped by their owners. According to the Forbes organisation, 11 models most likely to be unloaded within the first year include six made by German luxury automakers. The top three cars, the BMW 3 Series and the 5 Series and the Mercedes-Benz C-Class, are being rapidly resold at rates four times the national average. Another one to make it into the top 10 that is also sold on the Australian market is the Subaru WRX. But this might not always be because of gross dissatisfaction. Some people who buy these cars have a high disposable income and can change when they get tired of a vehicle. Or they may want to get more features and move up to a better model within the same brand. Overdrive has been proud to report on the efforts of Ben Felton. Recently, Ben went to the Speedweek event on the Salt Flats in Lake Gardner in South Australia to try and break the world record of just over 265 kilometres an hour for a blind person riding on a motorbike. He was followed and guided by former MotoGP rider Kevin McGee. They came close, but unprecedented rain and storm conditions constrained Ben from reaching the goal. Ben clocked a speed of 251.46 kilometres an hour, which is just over 156 miles per hour in the old measure. In a separate run, Kevin McGee smashed the 1,000cc production motorbike record aboard the Pirelli Yamaha R1M, achieving a speed of 317 kilometres an hour, or just under 200 miles per hour. And that has been the news. Government road ministers and road departments have to work out how much they are defenders of their particular mode of transport, their turf, and how much they are players in a wider field. New South Wales has just changed its Minister of Roads from the elderly Duncan Gay, who took every opportunity to enhance car travel, to a younger Melinda Jane Pavey, a member of the National Party and someone who, at least, has been a bicycle rider. What are the positive directions that the new minister should take? Now, Ken Dobinson's career centred on the New South Wales Road Authority. He rose to the level of director and since retiring from the department, he is in high demand as a consultant. He joins us on the line now. Ken, you were in the Department of Main Roads when it had to transition from just a focus on building new roads, didn't you? 
That's correct. It was a, a huge change in the organisation when it had to translate from a theme of getting the, uh, the farmer out of the mud to one of doing something about a Sydney that was growing into a big city. It was a complete change that was needed because the authority, and remember it was, this all started before there was a planning authority, had to start and plan Sydney because you had to plan Sydney to work out what transport you needed and you had to plan transport before you could work out what roads you needed. It was a huge transition and I think, you know, right now I think we're going through an equivalent one, somewhat similar, but equivalent challenges, I think, on governments to uh, get their transport right. That's interesting, isn't it? Because perhaps some way there is a carryover of the roads departments leading the way in terms of planning, whereas now a lot of other professions and the role of public transport and cycling and active transport walking has come into the game more strongly. Has that been hard for road authorities to accept the new people in the, pl- in the game? I don't think it's been hard uh, to accept them. What's been the difficult part is in many instances they haven't accepted them. <laughs> we, from an authority that really did the first plan for Sydney transport to an authority that now focuses on roads. In fact, the most frequent term that's used about the road authority in New South Wales is the roads silo. Yes. It thinks very little outside itself. And this is a shame because, you know, the more the city grows, the more we need to be looking at transport collectively, not individually into modes. And even more wider than that, we need to be look what sort of city we want and what sort of transport we need to give us that city. I heard a comment from a gentleman from the Road Authority in Victoria, Vic Road, say... Yes, it's to everyone's advantage if we have less travel on the road. He he wasn't trying to constrict people. He was trying to say that the solution is not just carried in lanes on bitumen. That's absolutely correct. But uh, And it's probably a good message to give because we have not been giving enough attention to public transport probably over the last 20 years. Uh, because it's becoming much more dominant. But the weakness in those sort of statements, and they worry me, is that roads in a city like Sydney will always be the dominant carrier of people and goods. Hmm. Rail has to complement it and carry its share, and we should be working our butts off today to make sure that rail carries every single person and every piece of goods that it can to take the pressure off the roads because we just can't build enough roads to serve a city which is growing and heading for by the middle of the century to about 8 million. Ken, it's always good to talk to you. I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks, David. Bye. And that's Ken Dobinson, a private consultant and uh, certainly one who is... uh, has a long history and a sense of history and a sense of understanding of where we might be in our land use transport planning. You're listening to Overdrive.
We are doing a story in Quirky News about the company in America that is using artificial intelligence to help generate more empathetic train announcements on the New York subway. But there is also a serious side to this, getting helpful information and feeling that you have been properly informed in a manner that meets your needs is obviously an important service to customers. Perhaps our next two guests are well suited to knowing how useful the audio information is. David Saxberg is one of the Overdrive team who went blind when he was seven years old and Hayley Monique has been blind since birth. They have both used public transport in many cities and they join us on the line to give us um, informed opinions on what works and what doesn't work. Hayley and David, thank you very much for your time. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for your time. Haley. you're in Brisbane. Uh, do they have pretty good uh, announcements up there? Yeah, they do. Um, they are quite good at announcing what station you're coming up to on the train, not so much the buses. Mm. There's an overall new thing that they've put in, which basically it's a little standalone, um, what would you call it, machine that stands on the, on the platform itself um, and you press the button. To, if you're going towards the city or out of the city, and it will tell you the announcements of the trains coming up. So that, that's pretty helpful. Oh, so you can get the uh, station announcement repeated any time you need it by knowing where that little uh, stand is. Yeah, so basically it's like um, it's, it's, it stands at the platform and it basically beeps, so you know exactly where it is and you press the button so the next you know train going towards the city is arriving in such and such time. So, so it gives you an indication of time. Yeah, that's fantastic, isn't it? And it uh, shows a degree of sense. But uh, David, in terms of information in the train, you have a problem. It might tell you what the station is, but there's a bit of missing information. Yes. So as you said, I'm in Sydney. And the one big thing that Brisbane does so much better in terms of announcements than Sydney is if you're pulling into the platform, the guards and conductors have been taught in Brisbane to announce what side the doors are going to be opening or what side the platform's going to be in the direction of travel. Hmm. They don't do that in Sydney. And I've been left kind of standing in the middle going, am I going to go left here at Strathfield or am I going to go right here at Strathfield? And if it's a seriously crowded train, which I've seen on many occasions, especially in peak going into the city, you stand there and go, I don't know what side to go and the doors open and no one moves and you've got to try and push your way through the crowd and it can get a bit uh, daunting sometimes we never want to be patronizing no definitely not and i and i think sometimes people may talk more loudly to you when they see that you're blind yes oh don't remind me yeah they certainly do (laughs) yes it's not good those good old misconceptions it's not ill intent i'm not suggesting that is but so a person might just say a very quiet simple you okay or can i help or something you would always appreciate definitely definitely if they can just say do you want do you want some help and even if you just say no and they say, yep, no worries, have a good day, and that's it. Some mm. people I've had in the past who just refuse that no and are still willing to tell me and then thus distracting me crossing a road and I'm end up in the middle of nowhere in uh. the street. So, yeah, it's, it can be quite distracting when someone does refuse that no and um, we don't say it because of ignorance. We say it because we're fine, because we know that we can get around if we really did want your help. They would say, yes, please, or ask you. Well, the very worst thing would be to stand beside you on beside a street and try and yank you 
in a particular yes. direction. <laughs> yes. Yes. I've had that too. Yes. I've had that was I. someone's arm very tightly because I've almost fallen yes. off the train. I was like, I'm fine, thank you. You've just made me a lot worse. Hmm. So have, you ever had the, have you had the Haley where they go and grab your arm and then hang on for dear life like they're trying to suck the blood out of you? Yep, I had that today. Yeah, I <laughs> had to get my veins looked at yeah, afterwards. I swear I'd lost three litres of blood. I love your spirit. I love uh, the chat. It's been very helpful, very understanding to that. And uh, David and Haley, I do appreciate your time greatly. Thank you very much. Thanks so Thank much you. for the time. And that's David Saxberg, one of the Overdrive team, and Haley Monique, who is from Brisbane, who talked about getting about on public transport when you don't have sight. This is Overdrive across Australia. And it's quirky news time, and we have with us Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Now, do you find train announcements to be unfriendly and impersonable? There's a company that is using artificial intelligence in America, and more particularly in New York, to optimise the messages given to passengers on their subway system, both in emotion and information. Do you find that, uh, Brian, announcements on the railway are discouraging to you, depressing, or are you invigorated? Look, I have to say I'm always interested in an announcement and I quickly judge whether or not it affects my, is my train late or not going to stop or, or, or is stopped and not going. But others, I found the kind of very passive-aggressive comments like um, there are 16 doors on this train, you know, passengers use all of them. Um, stuff like that, you know, that uh, or stand behind the yellow line, stand behind the white line, stuff that um, that's kind of, I guess, sneering almost. I get irritated by those. Okay. Um, but others are crucial for safety. Like, um, you know, I like the way that if someone runs for the train and sort of squeezes in as the doors are closing, the, the, the train guard will... Um, you know, speak to them and say that person who just jumped in, you know, you you put yourself at risk and a lot of other people at delay. So those sorts of things are useful. I think uh, if we're talking about those uh, pre-recorded ones that sort of say mind the gap or stand clear, doors are closing, I, I guess they're just part of the background. Uh, yes, once you've heard them so many times and they are not only similar, they're in fact the same that, uh, yes, they become somewhat meaningless. Uh, the other thing you've got to be careful, though, is attempts to be too nice. It's like the the American expression, have a nice day. I have a colleague who went to a bank in America one time, did his transaction, turned around, walked out, and as he walked out, the teller said, missing you already? And, oh, and, no. and, the, and my mate, who's not over-aggressive, so turned around and said, What? <laughs> for heaven's sake. But mind you, you're talking to a guy who was once asked to voice the answering uh, system in a major company. So I want to tell you this, Brian, with all sincerity, your call is important to us. <laughs> it's the it's this lack of sincerity that, <laughs> and the contriveness that is annoying about those ones of have a nice day and things like that. I, I looked at some of these ones, the MTA uh suggesting that if you know they front load politeness uh people will respond better but for example they they say you know they, their message stand clear of the closing doors please they their suggested alternative is please be careful of the closing doors i i actually like the the directness of stand clear there's a very clear command 
in that start, you know. So you want people to understand that they have to comply with what you are telling them to do, and that's part of you buy a ticket, you comply with the regulations. Um, so I actually I'm not sure that the kind of these passive aggressive or, or more passive please be careful of the closing doors style messages are the right way to go. They they do say things like your train is arriving soon uh, to try and give it some sort of involvement personableness I suppose it was that that some organisations had their URL their website addresses you know your NRMA uh, you know to try and make sure that they are reinforcing this thing of, of being a fraternity for everybody. Okay. Uh, is doing so it. your train is now arriving rather than a train is yes. now arriving. It's, it's your train. Well, it may not be my train. I might be waiting for the one behind it. Well, that's but right. The, the other stuff around, you know, where they say we apologise for the inconvenience or we thank you for your patience. Who's who's to say I'm being patient? I'm, I'm, I really don't have any choice. <laughs> <laughs> if you're bashing the speaker. <laughs> we thank you. <laughs> but I remember the time when train announcements were given by staff whose English wasn't their first language. And it was wonderfully entertaining. You had to concentrate. You really, I'm not, I'm not condemning it. I think they're very genuine and they were doing a job that had to be done. But it was wonderful stuff, wasn't it? You know, this wonderfully thick Italian accent would come over and say, ah, oh, you've got to you know, get on the train. Next one goes to Pimble or something. It was, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, they, they got into a lot of trouble eventually with those, though, of course, because if you're, say, you're um, uh, a blind person, you rely very much on these announcements, understanding which station is coming up, for example. Um, and, uh, I mean, the, one of the commissioners, um, uh, Graham Innes, of course, famously uh, made multiple complaints to Sydney Trains about their inconsistencies and you know, missing statements and announcements. And finally... Uh, you know, ended up in court where the Sydney trains lost spectacularly because they failed to provide consistent, understandable information that people need. Yes, well, our interview with the people who were blind, which is early in the program, takes up that very point and mentions that very person. So, yes, there is a serious side to it and a very important side to it as well. They talked, of course, about the thing where they can go up to a pole and press a button and get the announcement at any time, which I thought, Always rather good uh, doing that. Now, Brian, you have a story of more elegant motoring. Look, um, it's a it's a Rolls Royce story with a bit of marketing in there, and, and I guess a hint of something good. Um, Rolls Royce is making a tiny little Rolls Royce uh, pedal car sort of thing for the uh, St Richard's Hospital Paediatric Day Surgery Unit uh, in Rolls Royce's uh, hometown of Chichester in West Sussex in the UK. It's, it's called the um, Rolls-Royce SRH for Sir Richard's Hospital. Uh, it's going to allow children who are awaiting surgery to drive themselves to the operating theatre through the paediatric unit corridors, uh, which are, will be set up with traffic signs, in order to help reduce their stress. So it's a very pretty little blue and silver sort of car, a miniature car that the children can, can ride in. So it's a, it's a nice little idea. It was, uh, it was put together by the, the, the Mark's Bespoke manufacturing team. Uh, so I thought all of their vehicles were bespoke, but apparently not. So they have, um, uh, you know, they've got a, it's a single-seater. Uh, it's uh, got uh, self-writing steering uh, wheel centres, uh, 
not sure if that means you know the child might roll it over or something like that but it's uh it can be set to a variable speed but uh uh, you know, limited to uh, about four miles per hour, eight kilometres per hour. David, do you think it's a nice little idea? Uh, look, it's uh, it's rather boxy in its shape and looks like a little pedal car. I've got to say, I think it looks much better than the real thing. <laughs> it looks like a sort of little old racing car, doesn't it? Like a ah, yes. Yaddy or something like that. Yes, well, with wheels in there. I I think they're really only doing it to make the surgeons feel at home. <laughs> and- and possibly horrify the parents of the child when they realise that you know, how much is this going to cost? <laughs> is this, is this a, can I get this Instead on a wheelchair? Medicare? This Rolls Royce car. We've changed our mind. We might he may well be able to live with this limp <laughs> rather than climb into the Rolls Royce. It's a it's more of an American healthcare style thing, isn't it? The Cadillac version. Well, well, it depends on whether Obamacare keeps being stayed in or not, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> or, or more particularly, it's the sort of health care you get if you're rich now, of course. Rather, everyone else will have just a standard wheelchair or something. It, uh, uh, yeah. Now, the thing about it is driving's one thing, but parking is the other. The hospital equivalent of parking, I guess, is being in your bed. I wonder whether they might yes. not be able to, you know, have a roller door at the beginning of each bed or something that uh, uh, <laughs> garage style. Yeah, garage style, rather than curtains, which are impersonal. I would like a nice air-conditioned mm. garage. The only other trouble is, Brian, do you think they might get used to luxury, and so when they're wheeled down to the theatre, that they might sort of wonder where the reclining seats are, or the air, you know, could you turn the yeah. air conditioning yeah. up a little? I'd like to know who's been in the car before me and what disease did they have. <laughs> uh, could you model the hospital care on the service bay of a dealership? I wonder if this you know, gives you... There might be some benchmarking we could do here. That's, okay, yes, you, waiting lists, certainly. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you, you have to wait for the parts to come in. So, yeah, it's a lot of parallels there, isn't there? Yeah, we, yeah. We, Book it in. <laughs> When when will my <laughs> new kidney come? Well, probably by next Thursday. <laughs> now, and, and of course, when you drop your child off there, they give you a spare child, like a, <laughs> a loner child. <laughs> uh, we'll swap you back now. No, I, I quite like this one. <laughs> I quite like it. it handles better. <laughs> Lovely to talk to you. See you next week. Bye, David. That's Brian Smith, and we're talking the unusual news stories for this week. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Saxberg, David Campbell, Errol Smith, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.